When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. When I say nuclear reactor, you think meltdown. I mean, that is the immediate association, isn't it? When it comes to nuclear energy, fear is just part of the brand. Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, Springfield. Radiation, explosion, mushroom clouds, three-eyed fish. I mean, nuclear really is a hell of a thing. It's like where we get 15% of our energy in Canada, but you don't see it or smell it like the gas that you pump into your car or the exhaust from that car, the smog in our cities. It's kind of invisible. It exists as an idea for most people more than anything. And when we think of that idea, I think we think of nuclear's worst disasters, be they from reality or from cartoons. Civil defense officials are urging you to take cover. Please stay indoors with your windows closed. The potential is there for the ultimate risk of a meltdown at the Three Mile Island atomic power plant outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There was nothing sane about Chernobyl. Chernobyl is on fire. And every atom of uranium is like a bullet. Bad noise. Five minutes before critical mass. Critical what? Okay, okay, don't panic. 
Whatever problem this is, I'm sure they know how to handle it. Oh? Ah, it's my problem! We're doomed! I don't know if all that fear has helped us that much. You know, nuclear power has been in the mix for a while now. And those deadly disasters, they've been pretty few and far between. Something well beyond 99% of all nuclear power is generated without incident and with next to zero carbon emissions. And speaking of carbon emissions, I mean, the alternatives to nuclear, well, if we're talking about fossil fuels, the downsides there are not hypothetical. They are death and destruction today and, I don't know, an extinction event tomorrow. So looking back at things, you know, it's very clear that we should have been listening to activists a lot more when it came to gas and oil and coal. But I'm wondering if we should have been listening to other activists a lot less when it came to nuclear. If not for the fear, if not for the cartoons of mushroom clouds and the radiation suits and sci-fi movies, we might be in a much better place right now. Look, today's episode is not about whether we need more nuclear energy. It's about what we're going to do with the nuclear waste we have already created. Fear has paralyzed that question. And the result of that paralysis has been the least safe outcome. We're doing nothing. Our nuclear waste is just sitting there, above ground, waiting for a disaster. Now, nuclear countries around the world, including Canada, they know what they want to do with it. But their plan relies on communities volunteering to be the dumping ground for radioactive waste. A lot of radioactive waste. Our senior producer, Sarah Larniuk, is from one of those communities. And as you'll hear, in her hometown of Dryden, Ontario, the search for a nuclear waste site is pitting community against community and neighbor against neighbor. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Kyle Tratner, Mark Pavlidis, Andrea Dickison, Brad Fonseca, Thomas King, Sarah Angel, Tanya Cheist, and Amy. My name is Amy, and I'm a supply chain manager and a skier living in Canmore, Alberta. I started supporting Canada Land because I wanted a balancing perspective to my conservative Globe and Mail subscription. I kept supporting them because Emilie Nicolas was the first person in news and politics who I heard suggest that maybe the Canadian Armed Forces were too broken to fix. I'm really excited for the possibility of more French-language Canada land, and I wait for the backbench every week. Thanks for everything you do. Fear is a weird thing. It's visceral. It's one of the strongest emotions. It triggers stress responses. And the funny thing about fear is that we're often the most afraid of things that are extraordinary, things that are statistically unlikely to happen, rather than the everyday things, like, like dying in a car accident on the way to work. Sometimes fear is based in fact and reason, sometimes in other emotions, sometimes it's based on a lack of understanding. But whatever its origin, the power of that fear shouldn't be underestimated. It motivates action, and collective fear changes the course of decisions made in our society. This is what I've been thinking about as I travel through northwestern Ontario, 
through communities over about a 100-kilometer span that's about halfway between Winnipeg and Thunder Bay. Dryden and Ignace are the two biggest towns that break up this stretch of the drive through the Canadian Shield along the Trans-Canada Highway. If you've driven across the country, you've actually been to these towns. But if you didn't remember them, I don't think anyone here would fault you. To travelers, there are just a few gas stations and restaurants that break up the breathtaking views of hundreds of lakes and lots and lots of rocks and trees. Right now, there's a real tension building in these communities. Hi. Now your glasses are going to be on. <laughs> Sylvia Green-Gwinnett lives on the shore of Wabagoon Lake in the town of Dryden. Dryden is home to about 7,800 people. And Sylvia moved here with her husband from Montreal 13 years ago. We chatted as the sun set over the lake, framed by the Bayview window in her living room. But it's just such a beautiful view. We're looking south, basically south, a little bit southwest here. Yeah. Sylvia, like many of the people who live in this area, has completely built her life around the wilderness, around the water, the seclusion. It's her slice of paradise and on a budget. It just suits us perfectly. And so it's been a healthy way to live. We love Montreal, don't get me wrong. We love the city. But it's just, I I couldn't take the noise anymore 24 hours a day and the cement and just too much, too much busyness. Sylvia considers herself to be a peacemaker. Confrontation and conflict are really not her style. But when she found out representatives for the town 100 kilometers down the highway, Ignace, had thrown their hat into the ring to become the host site for all of Canada's nuclear waste, well, that fear response I was talking about, it was triggered. I was horrified. I was actually horrified when I found out and I said, I want to know more. What she found out was that a not-for-profit organization called the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, or the NWMO, was created in 2002 by the federal government with the express purpose of finding a location to dispose of all of Canada's high-grade nuclear waste. Once again, that is the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, NWMO. It's an acronym that's about to come up. A lot. So the NWMO is funded by power companies that operate nuclear plants in Ontario, New Brunswick, and Quebec, along with Atomic Energy of Canada Limited, which is a federal crown corporation. In 2010, the NWMO started a program where municipalities could come forward and volunteer their town to host nuclear waste. Ignace was one of 22 communities from across the country that put their hand up. And you might be tempted to ask, uh, why... Well, the pros of the proposal are pretty simple. Jobs and money. The Nuclear Waste Project is valued at $26 billion, with a B, over the next 150 years. Even the exploration phase comes with community development funding from the NWMO. In the decades since communities volunteered, possible host sites have been winnowed down from 22 to 2. And this is what has people in the region who are opposed to the project panicking. They never really imagined that Ignace would make it this far. Anybody who comes after us is not going to be able to live in this beautiful area. 
They just won't. It'll be done forever. Some of the concerns people have about this project demonstrate that panic is venturing into hyperbole. However, in talking to about a dozen people who are opposed to this project, there was one very understandable concern that kept popping up. It's because of the beauty of the area, all the water, uh, all the trees, the wildlife, the fish. On the world's second biggest watershed, fresh watershed. So I believe our area has its own spirit, its own rights. The watershed, um, it has a life, it has a, it has a voice, it needs to be heard, it needs to be respected. And protected. And protected. And I mean, it's, it's our own undoing. I mean, that's our life source. If it gets into the watershed. Not just the people, the animals, the water system, the ecological collapse of the entire boreal forest. Because certain people decided it was good for, for everybody else. And our watershed here is enormous. And I've worked in the underground mines, and I've worked way down deep. And the biggest problem is water. They keep the water out of the mine. And you can't stop that water from flowing down. I would say 95% of the world would like to have what we've got here, and I don't want to see it destroyed. Our water is the most precious thing, I believe, in this country right now, because so much in the world is polluted. Just so much. And we can't afford to take that risk, because no matter what they do to try to make it safe, Nuclear waste is not safe and will never be safe. Let me just put a pin in the question of the project's safety for a minute. We'll come back to that. Sylvia says absolutely nothing the NWMO says or does will sway her. She is against Northern Ontario becoming a dumping ground for nuclear waste in principle. It has nothing to do with any specific technical concern she has, but more about preserving undeveloped slices of nature. So... She got involved with a small group of people opposed to the project. They've started hosting online meetings. They've started tabling at community events. Sylvia unfurls the banner they taped to the front of their information booth with those iconic nuclear hazard symbols. You can find similar loud yellow banners popping up across the region right now. In people's windows, yards, at the end of their driveways too, declaring that nuclear waste is not welcome in northwestern Ontario. I am definitely afraid. I do sleep at night because I say I've done the best I can today. Tomorrow's another day. We're going to stop this. I will not even allow myself to think that it cannot be stopped, this project. I, I won't. Like I said, the fear people have about this project is intense. Oh, thank you. Have a good okay, one. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. Coming into this, there was a lot I didn't know about nuclear waste. For example, I didn't know that since nuclear energy came into use in Canada in the 60s, that all of the solutions to waste have been temporary. Waste is currently being stored on-site at nuclear power plants in containers that have a 100-year lifespan at most. The problem there being, of course, that nuclear waste takes thousands of years, or tens of thousands of years, to decay. Another thing I didn't know, there are defined categories of radioactive waste. The lowest level is stuff like gloves and other equipment used by nuclear plant employees. But that's not what we're talking about here. 
The waste the NWMO is looking to rehome is the highest grade stuff. We are talking the solid, spent nuclear reactor cores. Arguably, this is the most dangerous material on Earth. Even though the core is spent, it continues to require cooling and shielding indefinitely. When I talked to the NWMO spokesperson... My name is Vince Ponca. I'm the Regional Communications Manager for Northern Ontario with the Nuclear Waste Management Organization. He explained just how much waste we're talking about. Over 5 million bundles. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge amount. Each bundle is about the size of a log that would fit into a fireplace. So far in Canada, about 3 million of these bundles have been used and are in temporary storage. 5 million is the cap on how many would fit into a single waste site. And the proposed site is what's called a Deep Geological Repository, or a DGR. Um, So a Deep Geological Repository is a facility where uh, used nuclear fuel is uh, stored in canisters and placed roughly 500 meters below the surface. Um, And the whole purpose is to isolate this used fuel from people and the environment, uh, essentially indefinitely. They are basically excavating a big, solid rock. And when I say big, the rock they are looking at is 45 kilometers long. That is 447 football fields end to end. So they'd cut into this rock, half a kilometer down, and over the course of 40 to 50 years, trucks would haul the waste down the highway to this site. These bundles would go into canisters. The canisters would then be encased in a special clay that international researchers have shown protects the canisters from water. And it also cushions them from potential rock movements or small earthquakes. The bottom line is, the NWMO is confident that this project poses virtually no risk to the water supply, the environment, or the people here. And many people have been convinced by the information and research the NWMO has presented. But others have found their answers unsatisfying and generally distrust the organization. And it is worth noting that this has not ever been tried. Not in Canada, not anywhere in the world. So after hypothetically moving all of this waste to this site over the course of the next half century, monitoring would occur for 70 years before officials would decide what to do next, whether continued monitoring was required or if they would close the nuclear waste tomb and leave it there forever. So we have a lot of time to determine what's the best way to monitor that on the long term, right? So, you know, we would never just walk away from this and say done, right? We want want to make sure that this is indeed protecting uh, people in the environment, basically for millennia. You'll remember I told you it was representatives from Ignace, the town 100 kilometers from Dryden, who were the ones that volunteered their community to host nuclear waste. But after that, the NWMO geologists scoured the region for an eligible spot that might be suitable. And the site they came up with is on Crown land almost halfway between the two towns. The NWMO has courted Ignace heavily. The town is only home to about 1,200 people, and so far the NWMO has handed that municipality $5.4 million in the last decade, which is more than the township's entire operating budget for a year. The NWMO has also been involved in neighboring Wabagoon Lake First Nation. Representatives there have taken tours of nuclear facilities in Ontario and traveled internationally to learn about the similar projects being pursued in Europe. These two communities, Ignace and Wabagoon Lake First Nation, will have veto power over this project. But the rest of the region, be it small neighboring villages, other regional First Nations, or Dryden, with six times the population of Ignace, these communities are being informed of the project only as a courtesy, 
and it's in these places where opposition to the project is building. Dryden Councillor Shane McKinnon says he objects more to the approach than the project itself. What NWMO is looking for, they said initially, is a community that is informed and willing. But some of the strategies that have been employed, they've divided communities in the area, not just internally, but they pitted one community against the other. And certainly Ignis and Dryden are two uh, that um, have borne that brunt uh, recently. Um, and it's, it's done through really, if I may say, a, a process that NWMO has invented. They've come up with all the terms of reference, uh, all the terminology, all the references to host community versus neighboring community. Naturally, this meant the next stop on the journey had to be Ignace's town hall. Waiting in the lobby, goldfish swim in circles in their tanks, and walleye and lake trout stare up at you from the cover of brochures for tourist camps. But there are no information flyers about a proposed nuclear waste site to be found. Uh, My name is Penny Lucas, and I'm the mayor of Ignace. Long before Penny became Mayor Lucas, she spied a wanted ad for volunteers to sit on a community liaison committee. She signed up, and it turned out it was the committee assigned to work with the NWMO to suss out the area's viability for the nuclear waste project. In the decades since, she's toured around Canada's nuclear power plants and gotten involved in local politics. Project experts have her sold on this proposal. It is the economic golden ticket for her town. It's not like a mine where they come in and, and they're, they're here for 10 or 15 years and then they're gone. This is a 150-year project. I mean, we're already 10 years in. Um, so we're looking at 140 years down the road. And I think one of the things that we have found in, in northwestern Ontario, Kenora, Dryden, uh, Sioux Lookout, Red Lake, once people start coming to this community, they keep coming back just because of the lifestyle. And anything that we can do that's going to help make our community a better community and a place that people want to come to is going to be good for the community. I will say that I've heard a lot from people who are opposed to this project that they don't think that people will want to come to an area where what we're known for is uh, a nuclear waste site. What is, what is your response to that? Um, I don't agree with that at all. I know that... Um, I have been to the nuclear plants, and the people live right next door. Um, They don't even realize, I think a lot of them, they don't even pay attention to what that plant is. I think the tourism, what brings people here to this area, is still going to be there. It's the forest, it's the lakes, it's the fishing, it's the hunting, and it's the people. And that's what brings people here. And you know what? If the project was to come here to Ignace, and we have the center of expertise here— That's going to be like an interpretive center. That's going to be a scientific center. That's going to be a place where um, scientists and engineers from around the world come to Ignace to look at the project. And they're going to be like me. They're going to fall in love with the community. And they're going to want to bring their families here. And they're going to want to stay here or at least come back here. And, And I truly believe that. For Mayor Lucas, the risk associated with nuclear waste storage is sufficiently low to throw in on this economic Hail Mary. For nearby Wabagoon Lake First Nation, Chief Clayton Wadalainen has been more tepid in his support, saying last fall that they are still in a learning phase about the project and they still have the power to reject it if council sees fit. But once again, the price tag for the development of this deep geological repository is pegged at $26 billion over the next 150 years, and it promises 500 direct local jobs. 
it's not hard to understand the allure for this small-town rural area. Once upon a time, a number of mines operated here, but most of them have since closed. There used to be a bustling pulp and paper mill in Dryden, and it's still operating, but it only produces pulp now, so it employs a fraction of the people it used to. So of course people are eager to jump at the prospect of new jobs. There's this pull between the desire to protect the environment in this area from any risk at all, even a remote one, and the desire to see it thrive economically. And it's tough for anyone who's from this area to reconcile, myself included. After all, Dryden is where I grew up. This place where snowmobile trails are maintained better than roads. This place where I learned that the silence on the lake can heal your soul. This place where, as a kid, layoffs at the mill impacted my family and nearly every family I knew. Suddenly my friend's dads were living and working in Alberta, and they visited once every month or two. So, I can see both sides of this argument. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Maya Oversby is 21 now, but she started attending community meetings about the Deep Geological Repository when she was 14. Danse. Maya Oversby Nishkasen. Hello, my name is Maya Oversby. Maya is a Métis University student. We met up at the most Dryden-esque spot we could think of in the middle of winter, the ice road. Um, so the ice road is where everybody drives their ice shacks in the winter. Um, and everybody ice fishes together. kind of looks like a little sprinkled community on the lake. And once everybody gets on here, it's really colorful and there's lots of lights and stuff. But this is where the fireworks get set off on Canada Day. This is where you drive on your lunch break to drink your Tim Hortons and go jumping off the dock in the summer and fishing on the lake in the winter. It's just, it's a place of gathering. Maya isn't concerned about her own health and well-being. She's concerned about the health and well-being of this place for generations to come. And the NWMO has a duty to consult with all Indigenous people in the area surrounding the project. Um, so starting in, I think, probably around 2015 or so, I started attending the meetings and the information sessions and really just kind of um, jumped in um, just kind of hearing like whereabouts they were trying to stick it and everything. It's right on top of some really important harvesting lands. That's where I go to pick my blueberries and my rose hips and do all that fun stuff in the summer. So it's kind of a cause close to my heart and I want to protect it as much as I can. For Maya, no matter the economic payoff for her generation in the next this project is not worth it. People here are familiar with what it is to be let down by the industries they're supposed to trust. Dryden's mill leached mercury into one of the rivers here throughout the 60s and 70s, poisoning everyone downstream, principally indigenous communities. It was an incident that was then also covered up for decades. That obviously has nothing to do with the NWMO, but the organization had a deck stacked against them when it came to finding people who would be trusting of industry. I'm pretty outspoken. I've got the bumper sticker on my truck. I think my feelings towards it are, are pretty clear. Um, and I think the people who are totally for it are just looking at it through one lens. 
Um, they're looking at it through the business lens. They're promising a certain amount of jobs, not only for the community, but um, specifically for Indigenous folk as well. And I think a lot of people can see through that. There are a large portion of people who have been bought off and bribed and offered jobs and are doing it purely for the money, which I think is, again, very slimy. Um, and I think they know it's wrong. It is worth noting that the NWMO is transparent about the amount of money they've given to communities in the region and what it's been intended for, community initiatives, education, that kind of stuff. But for opponents, the money isn't seen as building up the community, but rather as a bribe of sorts, a bribe for communities that have fallen on tough economic times. Coming up, we look big picture. If the nuclear waste doesn't go here, then what's the alternative? Uh, Things like shooting this material into outer space or into the sun. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. The drama unfolding in northwestern Ontario could almost be dismissed as unimportant. A few hundred people who may or may not be upset. Whatever. Except that the hunt for a long-term solution to nuclear waste has been a decades-long international endeavor. It has been a question put to international researchers since the dawn of the technology. And these community spats are playing out around the world as that hunt goes on. Alison McFarlane has been in the thick of it for decades in the U.S., but in 2020, she relocated north of the border. Okay, so I'm Allison McFarlane. I'm professor and director of the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia. 
trained as a geologist. I have a PhD in geology from MIT. But for the last almost 25 years, I've specialized in nuclear waste disposal and nuclear energy and regulation. And from 2012 to the end of 2014, I was the chairman of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. My main question to her was pretty simple. Is she at all concerned with the pursuit of a deep geological repository in Canada? Absolutely not. I think this is the the absolute correct thing to do with this material. Deep geological repositories are the internationally agreed upon solution for disposing of high-level nuclear waste. There aren't a lot of other options. But really, have we considered everything else? Other options that were considered in the past were uh, things like shooting this material into outer space or into the sun. Well, that's pretty much a non-starter because we don't have 100% record at getting rockets up into the atmosphere without them exploding. And if they did that with a payload of nuclear waste, we'd all become radioactive. Um, So that was a non-starter. It'd also be rather expensive. Uh, Another idea that was considered was putting this material in the deep muds that underlie the abyssal plains in the deep oceans, but these are international waters and you'll never get international agreement to dispose of one country's waste in such a manner. And then other ideas put it on the polar ice caps. Well, unfortunately we know they're melting now. Um, So that's really another non-starter or put it on an island. And again, with climate change, we know the islands are in danger of going under. Uh, So again, another non-starter. So this is the one option. Sitting around and waiting for physics to change uh, is not an option. No credible person will say, let's just wait we'll be smarter in the future. We made this material. We know how to safely dispose of it. Allison has never been involved in Canada's nuclear waste site hunt. However, she was involved in President Obama's Blue Ribbon campaign on America's nuclear future. And she said in surveying the Canadian program, she was most impressed with the transparency and the community engagement that the NWMO pursued. In fact, all of the things that opponents cited as reasons not to trust the NWMO process like giving money to community development projects, Allison disagreed and said it was the best practice to build trust with a community that way. The problem of nuclear waste isn't really a technical one anymore, she says. It's more of a PR issue. The difficulty has not been on the technical side of things. The difficulty has been on the political and societal side of things. You have to get a community to agree that this is okay. I mean, communities have agreed to all sorts of institutions and facilities that some people might find disreputable or unpleasant. So, for example, the city of Santa Fe, which is the capital of the state of New Mexico, was offered either a university or a prison. It chose the prison, and the university went to the city of Albuquerque in New Mexico. So, you know, communities make different choices for different reasons. And some communities have said that they're comfortable with a nuclear waste facility. I said earlier that these deep geological repositories haven't been tried anywhere, which is true. But the list of countries racing to get one into use is long. Finland, France, the United States, Japan, 
Canada. Finland is probably the country closest. They've selected a site and they have received a license to construct the site. So they're in the process of mining tunnels. Hopefully before the end of uh, the 2020s, they will actually start to emplace waste. Both Finland and the United States have actually reached the next obstacle in storing waste for 10,000 years, which is figuring out how to communicate with future generations the danger that is stored in the waste tomb, across language and without symbols that will likely fall into disuse. It's a curious problem to overcome, but the Atomic Energy Agency found that even today, only about 6% of people globally recognize the symbol for radiation. But before that hurdle can even be contemplated in Canada, the site location is needed. So I asked Allison how she would propose that the NWMO convince people in northwestern Ontario that a deep geological repository is safe and shouldn't be feared. Well, I don't. I would never say that it needn't be feared. I think that's a reasonable response. <laughs> um, I don't know that the point should be trying to convince people that they're wrong, that they shouldn't be fearful. I would never argue for that. And and people in the nuclear industry who make the claim that oh, if we could only educate the public, they would understand that they don't have to worry. Well. One should be concerned about a material that can kill you when you can't sense it at all, right? You can't smell it. You, you know, radiation can be there and you have no idea. But that's why we need a strong regulator to ensure and protect the public. So we should not be worried. But also, it's okay to be worried? The way to think about all of this stuff is in a relative sense. You can't think in an absolute sense. So what are you comparing this to? What are you comparing a deep geologic repository to? You're comparing it to leaving the material where it is right now, above ground. Which is riskier? In my view, it's much riskier to leave it where it is. We don't know that the institutions that ensure that we're safe from it will continue. We do know that if they don't continue, the containers that this material is in will break down and it will get into the environment. And that will happen a hell of a lot faster than would ever happen deep underground. In the development of the EU's Green Deal, radioactive waste has been a pivotal issue that has kept a number of countries from supporting the continued growth of nuclear power as part of the answer to the climate crisis. But meanwhile in Canada, even without a permanent solution to radioactive waste, a handful of premiers from Jason Kenney to Doug Ford have declared their intent to move forward with new nuclear power, starting with the first small modular reactor being slated to go up 80 kilometers east of Toronto. So there's two converging issues here. Whether you support new nuclear power or not, you have to accept the simple reality that a lot of nuclear waste already exists and needs to go somewhere safe. But does supporting a disposal project like this one open the doors to accelerate new nuclear energy projects? This question was bugging me. So I called up two of the smartest energy policy experts I know of. So I'm 
Sarah Hastings Simon. I'm a professor at the University of Calgary in the Department of Physics and Astronomy in the School of Public Policy, and I also direct the Masters in Sustainable Energy Development. And I'm David Keith. I live most of the time in Canmore, but I'm a professor at Harvard in engineering and also in the Kennedy School of Government. The two of them co-host a podcast called Energy Versus Climate, and they debate issues in the energy policy realm. So I asked them to do one round on this. How will the success or failure of this hunt for a waste site impact Canada's nuclear energy policy? I think there's four big challenges for nuclear power. Weapons proliferation, cost of reactors, reactor safety, and waste. And everybody you ask will have a different ranking of those. So for me personally, I would put waste at the bottom, the least important of those four. But I taught a class in energy systems this year where at the beginning of the nuclear section, I asked people to rank them and they ranked waste as the top. I personally would put weapons at the top. I think if we build out a lot of nuclear power globally, there's no way to avoid the fact we make it easier to get a hold of weapons materials. I would say like this is not an issue that's unique to the nuclear industry, right? Like I don't think it would be fair to say that this is only a, a challenge that they face, right? I think our, if you look back at the history of like industrial development, I, I'm hard pressed to come up with any industry where, you know, we solved the problems of dealing with the waste or reclamation before we went ahead with it, right? Right. Think oil sands tailing ponds. Even solar and wind produce waste. All of these energies continue production despite having a quote-unquote waste problem. So much of this comes down to, I guess, relative risk and relative cost. I agree objectively with what Sarah just said, exactly. But in terms of public perception, I think waste is important in a circle. It's important because it's important. It's a football that two sides are using almost as a proxy war about larger questions about nuclear power. So I actually think that it might be that if there was a operating permanent uh, uh, commercial waste repository, which after all, there isn't in the developed world now, and it, you know maybe there's some initial opposition, but then you know people get used to it and there's not strong opposition, I think that actually would make it significantly easier to move forward. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think we're agreeing there. I think I was just trying to say like it, it would be unfair to the nuclear industry to somehow imply that like this waste problem is a problem that they alone are failing to solve when actually it's other industries that are failing to solve it in some ways, even worse, as, as you're saying, David, like, I, I think that's just the, you know, in this in this relative assessment of risk, it's sort of like, I feel like I, I want to come back to that and make that point that like, we shouldn't, you know, say that the nuclear industry is doing so much worse at it, if anything, you know, probably they're doing measurably better, we know they are in terms of the direct impact, again, when you talk about the impact of, you know, putting particulates into the air from burning fossil fuels versus the negative impact from the nuclear power plants. So as these small towns battle it out over whether or not nuclear waste should be put there, the stakes are seemingly pretty high for the industry, at least from a PR perspective. If the industry can answer the question of what to do with the waste, then they take away one of the sticks with which nuclear opponents can beat them with when new plants are proposed. But remember, northwestern Ontario isn't the only option here. The other option is South Bruce, an agricultural community 180 kilometers northwest of Toronto. But the NWMO has their work cut out for them in that community as well, since opposition has risen up there too. Michelle Stein owns a sheep and cattle farm, and she was largely unengaged with the local discussion. But in 2020, she attended a community meeting to hear a little bit more about the proposed site in South Bruce. When she asked 
where exactly the project would be placed in the community, she says they told her. No site had been chosen. The next morning, it was in the newspapers that they owned the property beside me, and they optioned the property on the other side of me. So I find it really difficult to believe that there was nobody at that meeting who knew about land being bought already. And so my husband and I, we went into the office to talk to the NWMO people. And our biggest concern is what happens if this affected the quality or the quantity of our water. And the answer we got that day was, well, we're not at the point of answering that question yet. In South Bruce, the opposed group of citizens have a whole different battery of concerns. Like we're an agriculture community. Um, We sell some of our lamb goes direct to some butchers in Toronto. And we've already had a discussion with one um, butcher who has said, I will not buy your lambs from your farm if you are living next to the nuclear dump because people want to know where their food comes from. And if anybody ever found out where that lamb was raised, it would be terrible for his business. So for our family, instead of, you know, looking to the future to expand um, straight from farm marketing sales, we would lose that ability because of the stigma. In South Bruce, City Council has passed a resolution that the question of whether or not the site should be put there will be put to the populace in a referendum. In northwestern Ontario, the decision will be made by town council and ban council, and the decision will be made by 2023. Between now and then, municipal elections will occur in all Ontario municipalities. And you better believe in Ignace and South Bruce, it will be an issue that comes up. And it is possible that neither community will agree to hosting the waste site. I asked the NWMO spokesperson, Vince Ponko, what would happen if after a decades-long search, they came up with no solution at all? You know, what I've always heard from leadership, because I've asked that exact same question of, you know, my managers and directors, and first thing they say is, well, we're confident we'll have a site. But the but is, if honestly, if all ACEs say no, then I think it's back to the drawing board, right? I'm not sure what the next step would be because we'd still have the task of finding that site. So the search would continue, but I'm not sure what the steps would be beyond that. I started this episode talking about fear. To me, this story really comes down to a question of what we're willing to sacrifice as a society to maintain the lives we lead. We demand electricity in larger and larger quantities every year. Fine. But that will cost us something. This story is about spoiling a slice of nature to bury that cost. If we keep building more nuclear plants, we'll have to do that again, eventually. We can choose other options, but they have costs too. Ask Indigenous people in northern Manitoba what they think about the province's quote-unquote green hydroelectricity coming at a cost of their way of life. I think the fear that people feel when they talk about this nuclear waste site is fear that finally that cost will be paid by them, by their families. Our nuclear waste will not stay safe forever where it is. If it's not my hometown to pay that price, it will be someone else's. And I can tell people to trust the science. But I'd be lying if I said I don't share some part of that fear that they feel about this project. Of course, I don't live there anymore. This question is in the hands of the people who still do. And they'll have to balance the potential economic benefits with any potential downsides. And ultimately, they'll have to answer the question, how much is their fear worth? 
that's your Canada land. If you like this show, the thing to do is support us, please. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand, and our website is CanadaLand.com, where, wow, you need to go listen to the most recent episode of Commons, all about Barrick Gold and Peter Monk, and wow, it is an intense story. Our senior producer is Sarah Larniuk, who reported today's story, and this episode was produced by Tristan Capicchione. Kieran Oudshorn is our managing editor. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hey, once again, if you like this show, if you like anything our network does, support us, please. Go to canadaland.com slash join. Click on the link in the show notes. We want to give you all kinds of awesome stuff, and we want your support to do this journalism. Journalism.